This is Beyond Busy. I'm Graham Alcott. I'm the author of a number of books, including the global bestseller, How to Be a Productivity Ninja. And I'm the founder of Think Productive. We work with some of the world's leading companies to help people get stuff done, but more importantly, to help people to make space for what matters. Beyond Busy is where I explore the often messy truths and contradictory relationships around topics like work-life balance, happiness and success, and explore with interesting people what makes them tick. In short, this is where we ask the bigger questions about work. My guest today is Lauren Curry. Lauren is a serial entrepreneur with a background in service design, and she's the CEO and founder of Upfront, an organization helping women to tackle issues around confidence. Lauren is one of the most interesting and articulate speakers on subjects of gender and race and diversity. And on this episode, we talk about the recent goings on at Basecamp, her empathy and curiosity, and what it meant to her to be awarded an OBE. There's also some really interesting insights around what it means to be busy, the importance of kindness and leadership, and Lauren shares some of her productivity secrets too. This is Lauren Curry. Lauren Curry, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Graham. It's great to be here. Hi. Shall we start at the beginning, which is um let's start with your 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 day job or your your main activity right now. So you're the founder of Upfront. Do you want to just talk yes. about what Upfront is? Sure, yeah. For this this is the first time since twenty sixteen that I've had that I've had one day job. So I'm, <laughs> I'm on week four of having one focus, which I'm very excited about. And Upfront is an organization on a mission to change confidence, not women. And we were founded in 2016. And we do work with women all over the world to change their relationship with confidence. And we do that in three ways. One is through bonds. So bonds is the collective noun for a group of women. We have a six week online course which is our flagship product and cohorts of bonds go through that program so the fourth bond starts in a couple of weeks we also have a membership space which is the global community bond for women who are really intentionally looking to build new muscles of confidence visibility advocacy and content so we run newsletters we do keynotes we talk on podcasts to smart people like you and that's up front nice and you said there at the beginning something which i think is really important you're here to change confidence not women do you want to just unpack that a little bit i'd love to because i think it's one of the things that makes up front very different from the majority of products and services that exist in the world around confidence that are that are aimed particularly at women and minority groups because most of those products you know you've kind of got the tony robbins gary v which is very kind of masculine american privileged extroverted version of confidence then you've got the kind of royal academy school of drama breath and body work group of group of products which is valid but I think quite out of reach for a lot of people um, and the ones that do work with women specifically are often built to put the onus on the women to change and they are built in a way that is putting the woman as the maker of her own fate whereas the reality is that a, a lack of consequence, a lack, mm. a lack of confidence, sorry, self-doubt, feeling like an imposter, all these things that are now becoming trendy, those are very natural consequences of not fitting the white, masculine, extroverted version of confidence we've all been conditioned to believe is the only right way to show up in a confident yeah. way. Um, so our onus is on changing the systems, creating new spaces and new systems that, that embrace a whole wide range of leadership styles, confident confidence styles. You know, we're, we talk about building a confidence revolution. Um, I want to have worked with a million people, a million women by 2023. That's my, that's our new goal. 
and you know the demand the demand is high we have hundreds of women come through each bond cohort mm. and it really does for many of them it's the first time in their life where they've been introduced to the notion of intersectional feminism and privilege and understanding the huge role that race and class and gender and economic background and all these things how they affect who gets to show up in what spaces in what way yeah and if someone was going to go through that program so it strikes me that there's a the bond element of it is this sense of community and being able to explore some of these things and express these things with a group of like-minded people but then presumably there's there's almost like a sort of ideology or a kind of content sort of focus too right so what just describe what that would look like to someone if they were going to go through um one of the bonds that you do yeah so the the kind of principles of the the bond space is first of all one of high psychological safety and high trust so you know as you know i've worked as a designer and a facilitator and worked in and around culture and leadership for a lot of years so you know i've put all those skills into practice to create a community that feels safe very quickly albeit it's online and often well most of the time it's strangers and people who don't know each other Mm, and you know often the feedback we get is that you have conversations in the bond that you couldn't have in your professional environment, even if that was a good, positive professional environment, just because a lot of these things are taboo, you know, whether that's around your relation, you know, fertility, money, and aging, you know, a lot of things that really do impact Mm. women's confidence where there isn't really, it's not really the norm to have conversations about that stuff. And then similarly, yeah. conversations that you wouldn't really have with family or friends because, yeah, for a whole bunch of different reasons. So there's there's one principle of high safety and high trust. And the other one is that, you know, no woman experiences the world and experiences oppression in the same way. So we do a lot of work to help you look outside of your own lived experience of your gender and your race and really do work to understand what that experience might look like and feel like for other women who are showing up with the same challenges and blockers as you, but have got their, you know, the the kind of of experience of them becoming true for them have been very different and then the third piece is that we don't put any emphasis on professional identity and what that means is in any given space we have ceos stay-at-home mums unemployed people students team leaders and everything in between rubbing shoulders with each other in the same bond and again showing up with the same challenges and blockers so there's an immense feeling of solidarity very quickly Mm. but one that's very welcoming because we know for example women who take a break from professional work to care or to have a baby or become a parent the number one reason they cite that stops them from going back into traditional work is a lack of confidence so you know it's a very systemic nuanced thing and we're working hard to create bonds and spaces that really hold space for that nuance Mm. i love that idea that it's you know people showing up as humans rather than as pay grades and Mm -hmm. there's you know there's no hierarchy and just the the empathy that that would create right for people who have been in a career for 20 years and haven't taken a career break for childcare versus the people who have and are just at a very different point um you were saying something before about how a lot a lot of issues with confidence are the the structural realities then manifesting and and the kind of they manifest as you know these issues that that bring about mm-hmm. a lack of confidence and it's like it's as much down to the systems as it is down to the people mm-hmm. and so i wonder it, it feels like it's a little bit of a chicken and egg thing isn't it because you know when you uh when you think about your sort of previous work and i wanted to talk about um snook in a minute as well um but you you spent all of this time designing systems mm-hmm. 
And now you're spending a lot of time helping people to to navigate themselves through those systems. So how do you, do you ever get to the point where you're trying to work with people, but actually in the back of your mind is like, this whole system is screwed. So why do we even, why are we even trying to, to change people's approach? Because actually the system is the, the bigger issue. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a, it's a very real tension. And, you know, my point of view is there's no place of neutrality in that. You're either actively upholding a system or you're actively breaking down a system to create a new mm. one. And, you know, where, where up front sits in that is, first of all, the, one of the most powerful jobs to be done is to inform and educate women as to why they feel these feelings they get this they get the feedback to speak up to put yourself out there more they get rejected for the promotion even though they keep asking for it you know these constant feelings like they don't belong that they're going to be found out whatever these symptoms might look like it's helping them understand that that is not a problem that lies with them that is not anything yeah. that they have created, or actually they as an individual have the power to fix, in, in inverted commas. And that in itself is hugely liberating for lots of the women that we work with. And it reminds me of that phrase, you know, the, the truth will piss you off and then it will set you free. You know, I think there's <laughs> a lot of women who move through the world absorbing these messages that you know you're responsible for your fate you're responsible for your career and you need to learn to work harder to meditate more to ask for help to be more resilient you know whatever it might be mm. and of course there are lots and lots of things that as an individual you can do to increase your agency and the, the pieces of that that we focus on are the pieces that are linked to privilege and power, particularly for white women and able-bodied women, cis women, who are who who have more power in these spaces than their black or brown peers do. Um, mm. And that's when I think you know it's not you know I do get I get cross at these kind of clickbaity Buzzfeed headlines of you know, there's, there's no point in even having a conversation, you know, stop telling women anything because the system needs to be fixed. And it's like the system is made up of women. People are what make the system. And right mm. now the women that are coming through these bonds in the next two, five, ten years, you know, they're recruiting people, they're building companies, yeah. they're creating more wealth. And when you, when you start to do that with awareness and an education and intentionality around... How do we break these toxic norms that we have around confidence needs to look like being the loudest voice in the room? You know, that's that's how those norms get broken. And I fully believe that it's possible. Let's just do some positive dreaming for a minute. So what does what does a good future of work look like for you? If you think about big big vision off the back of that, because the inspiring part of that is suddenly you've got all these people that are then going to create that future. What what could that look like? What do you want to see? Gosh, what a question. Positive future of work, I think, looks like feminist and its values and practices and, and behaviour. It looks intersectional, you know, genuinely, genuinely diverse and inclusive. And fair, you know, I think things like universal mm. basic income, universal basic health care. And then I think the other bunch of stuff is around the planet, you know, vegan, sustainable. Yeah. 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 For me, I'm, I'm a big believer in universal basic income. And I heard it talked about on a podcast a while ago that, yes, universal basic income, but also universal basic services. So... Mm -hmm stuff like buses are free trains are free like that's the way to mm -hmm. uh you know to really improve the economy because what you then create is there's a, a sort of system where like everybody has the fu money right so everybody has you know 
just a basic level of income that if you're really unfulfilled in a job, then you get to decide to leave. You're not, you know, yeah. so worried about making the rent next month that you can't. And like, yeah. I that's the thing that really inspires me, right, is the idea that you can get to a future where people are treated with dignity and respect and fairness, but also people have the ability to do the kind of work that they really want to do and are putting yeah. their skills to good use. You know, that's the thing that really inspires me. Yeah. I mean, I think I, I agree. And I think there's, that brings up two things for me. Like one is a, a big part of this future world where you and I have made up all the rules is um, childcare and infrastructure for mm, families yeah. and children. And I know that we've talked about that before, you know, a huge reason why, We've relocated away from London to be here in in Sweden as they they are from a policy level built to support women and families and parents to thrive because we all of the data that we are looking at around gender inequality and the racial inequality gap, the racial wealth gap, the gender wealth gap all comes back to women being forced to step out of the, the traditional workforce mm. yeah. to either have children or care for elderly relatives and you know that foundation is a game changer in Sweden are a, a great example of of getting that right and then I think the other thing around the kind of FU money and people being able to do work that fulfills their purpose is and a, a huge yes to that and we need to also look at the women who are working the zero hour contracts you know they've never had mm. a job where they've had a desk you know there's no yeah. huge amount yeah. of discrimination sexism racism and women who are just living incredibly precarious lives at the helm of usually male bosses when and they're completely unprotected Mm. so there's lots yeah for sure a lot of work to be done shifting gears slightly so let's talk about your the, the early part of your career which is how we first met we were trying to figure this out when we spoke yeah. the other week is uh what what we were both doing in a room at ncvo i can't actually remember <laughs> but you were you were doing a presentation and i think pitching um for Always for like pitching. for a project around around leadership but it was around service design and it was when um, you were with your business partner, Sarah and Snook. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that for me, just when I remember being in the room with you guys and just being such a fan of your approach and, and, you know, and just your approach to, to design thinking and, and service design and just this feeling like such a, an interesting um, area to work in. So do you, do you want to just talk about the, the history of Snook and, and the sort of part that that played in your earlier career? Yeah, so it was my first business set up when I was 23 uh, from a place of total naivety. <laughs> I had no idea really what... It's the best place to set up a business for. from, isn't it? Exactly. <laughs> um, and, you know, I discovered service design quite early on in my, in my university degree. I studied product design engineering at Duncan & Georgenson Art School in Dundee. And, you know, I went there on a very clear mission to be a product designer. You know, I was going to be the next Steve Jobs. I was going to make a product and get really rich and change the world. Hmm. And then discovered this idea of service design. The first time I heard about it was through the lens of design against crime. So the fact that you can, you know, you can use design in terms of how spaces are laid out, how information is exchanged to prevent crime. And this just... Hmm. Yeah blew my mind and that was my kind of first that was my first step into service design and you know at that time it was a very immature field still kind of finding its feet I wrote my thesis on service design I made really good friends with lots of the key thinkers and authors in the field at the time who were super generous and kind of gave me their time and opened up the the discipline for me and then, you know, it didn't take a genius to work out all the jobs were in London. And I was <laughs> extremely passionate about my local area and about where I grew up and about Scotland. So Snook, and my mum came up with the name. 
uh, and my my you know my family played a huge huge role in our early years. You know they built the furniture in our studio. Um, my mum used to make she made all the tarting bunting for our first studio, <laughs> and really it was a whole all of my twenties just worked my arse off for lack of a better mm. phrase to really evangelize because it was very unknown as you say it was kind of like oh this, this is kind of a new a new combination of things that have already existed you know this idea yeah. that we need to design complicated customer experiences with with the people that they're for in mind which now is like oh well yeah but you mm. know even now it's still not commonplace even now services design is still a booming industry you know 10 years on so yeah we built a consultancy practice one customer to another customer and yeah it was uh, it was my first it was my first business I learned a huge amount and you know now I'm the way I think about it is like design is my practice and my craft that like design is how I solve problems it's how I think about things it's how I see the world but now I use that to build other things rather than my previous businesses were about selling that process and that skill set or upskilling mm. others in that process yeah. and skill set so that's been quite a pivotal shift for me are there any particular things that you look back on from that business in terms of like the work that you did like particular changes that came about or just stories you can tell about how that design-led thinking really changed stuff i mean i think looking back i can see that we we really did play a significant role in showing what was possible and I'm really proud of the part I played in service design mm. being what it is today and you know I still get emails on a weekly basis from you know students I met in like 2010 like <laughs> on a stage somewhere <laughs> talking about service design and Amazing. you know I, I think that's really I think that's really special and then we reconnected um, a little while ago because we were both speaking on the same virtual stage at Kindfest. Yes. I was such so a I wanted to talk. Event. It was amazing, wasn't it? So I wanted to talk to you about kindness. That just felt like a, a really obvious thing to talk to you about. So tell me what your thoughts are on why kindness is such an important thing for leadership and for business. Yeah, it's something that I'm thinking about more and more because kindness has got a really interesting relationship with confidence and that part of why we need to change confidence I believe is the kind of stories we're told and the stories we make up around confidence is that you're you're either confident or you're kind probably not going to be both they're, they're not words that we often hear mm. in the same sentence so I've been telling stories and have a, having conversations about what does being confidently kind look like and this is what I talked about at kind fest and there is you know it's people have been super receptive to this idea of yes of course you can be both and how how unhelpful that we're given the message that you would mm. you would have to be one or the other and I think you know, COVID-19 has in many ways been a leadership test and the results have been extremely negative. You know, across all sectors, we've seen that there is a leadership deficit. And I think the leaders who have shown up in, in the right way, in the progressive kind way, are people like Jacinda Ardern. I saw at the weekend she got named the best leader in the world, greatest world mm. leader. And she is somebody who leads with kindness in a very intentional, purposeful way. I think we also see it in the business world. Like my one of my favorite case studies is the CEO of Timpsons, which is of course yeah. a family yeah. owned generation business. And he talks a lot about their entire business model is built upon principles of kindness. And for me up front, I, I'm trying to role model what that looks like in my business in the hope that others will copy me. So women who have got no income, women who are on maternity leave can join a bond at no cost. Uh, me and my partner have just launched 
or recently launched a new coffee truck business in England. And there we're trialling, offering people cheaper milk if they choose to try an alternative milk. And, you know, I think all of these things are... It's about being kind. It's about being kind to your customers, kind to yourself, kind to your, kind to the planet, um, and realizing that it's not about oh, if I, that kindness is a weakness. And I think for my work up front, the most interesting bit is the difference between being kind and being nice. Yeah, yeah. And you know, we know that the etymology of the word nice is is around stupid and stupidity and actually kindness being kind is much more about you know everybody has potential believing everybody has potential and and showing up with intentionality whereas niceness is often weaponized against particularly women and people of color as a way of forcing them to accept a status quo that isn't serving them and i see a huge i meet lots and lots of women who are being held back by conditioning around niceness. Because, you know, if you grow up as a a little girl, you are taught that people liking you and being nice to everybody comes first and comes first even before yourself. And that's really harmful. Yeah, I think so often kindness and niceness are just confused as one and the same and I'd say a couple of things on that. One is you would often hear people described as overly nice or too nice. It's very rare that you hear as a criticism someone's too kind. And if, you know, if it is, it's yeah, a remark exactly. that people make, oh, you're too kind. Like, it's a great thing. Yeah. Um, and also, like, that whole thing about niceness is all about likability first, being liked and pleasing people first. And then the purpose of what you're doing comes second. And I think kindness is the other way around. I think kindness is where you put the the truth and the purpose first and then you work mm-hmm. out the way to deliver that in the most dignified possible way, right? So in yeah. a way, it's like, it's for me, like kind and nice are almost opposites rather than being two things that are very similar that get confused, right? Yeah. I think it's re- really important. Yeah, and I, I agree. And I often have to remind myself too, it's like I'm not, building this business to be liked in -hmm. fact if i'm doing my job properly i'm probably going to be pissing some people off (laughs) whereas i know that i will yeah i will always be kind i will at least always try to be kind and that is a really helpful frame framing for me yeah for sure um let's talk a bit more about um what what just popped into my head there is when you're saying sometimes if you're doing your job properly, you're going to annoy some people. Um, that might be a nice segue into the base camp stuff because it felt mm-hmm. like, um, and we both we both made little interventions that week when base camp um, made its uh, infamous blog post. Mm-hmm. Um, and what was interesting for me is my email newsletter goes out every Sunday. I usually get one or two unsubscribes every week. Mm-hmm. And that week I had seven unsubscribes in the first three hours it went out. And that email, which actually referenced your video, um, was was basically me saying, you can't you can't just build an organization where you where you say we're gonna only focus on purpose and we're not gonna listen to, you know, uh, any more debate about race and about gender, which was just really the kind of crux of what people got annoyed with with um, with that Basecamp uh, yeah. blog post. So I just thought the way you um, the the way you talked about um, Basecamp, which from a someone with a design background and me with a productivity background, we've both been fans of mm. what Basecamp do for Huge a long thing, time, yeah. right? Um, but you talked about it in a way that was still you know, it was still reserving that, that kindness for them. You were also being kind to the other people whose work and reactions you'd read about it, who you were referencing and you're pointing people back in other people's directions and not trying to say all these ideas are mine. It's like, I've read this other thing and there's this other thing that's really cool. Um, so do you want to just talk a bit about your reaction to that base camp 
blog post. And also, I'd love to know if you had, if you had a, did you have a backlash to that as well? Yeah. Backlash, I don't know. But I was actually really pleasantly surprised at the amount of engagement and uh, share, like a lot of people shared that video that I made and, you know, Mm. people like yourself, you know, a few people putting it in their newsletters and stuff meant that people who didn't know me found me and and got use out of the video. So um, I can't say that I noticed backlash, but I definitely notice when I share posts that are visual imagery of black and brown women's faces they get less engagement than Mm. photographs of white women's faces do you mean just on instagram and stuff yeah yeah wow and it's hard because you know i'm in terms of data numbers tiny fish in the in the big instagram pool um but i think when you look at the people with, you know, millions of followers and the much bigger platforms, we see the same, we see the same patterns, especially for black and brown women themselves having their accounts deleted, hacked, um, mm. their pictures being removed. So there's definitely racist bias in the algorithms. I don't know, you know, I don't have expertise to pull apart what's the algorithm, what's the individual follower. But all I do know is there's definitely a problem there to be solved. Um, And in terms of Basecamp, I mean, it actually really floored me the day that it came out. And I think, you know, and I say that side-eyeing my whiteness and the fact that I could choose to turn it off and go do something else if I wanted to and I know for a lot of the black and brown people listening that's that's not a luxury that they have especially the people who work for base camp and well that was one of the lines in that was one of the lines in that piece that really annoyed me in base camp's blog post Jason Free's blog post because it was like he was he was saying it was the framing of it was was a very white framing. It was like, you 100%. know, we we shouldn't have to be distracted by the worry of whether we are checking into this conversation or checking out of this conversation or whether we need to intervene or be seen as complicit yeah. and all the rest of it. And and that was the first thing that I thought. It's like, if you're black and you're reading that, or if you're a woman and you're reading that, you know, if you're disabled and you're reading that, like you're, you're reading that without the privilege of just being able to turn it off or yeah. check out or or just you have a little worry about whether it's a bit awkward it's yeah. like it's, it's just... politics that affects your pay and your your yeah. you know it, like possibility of being discriminated against and all kinds of stuff right it's, it's racist it just fundamentally is and it's to to lead with a notion that two white men who run an organization can decide what is politics and what is not is fundamentally mm. flawed. Running a business is political. I don't care if you make <laughs> baked beans or productivity software. Yeah. It, is, it is political. Yeah. And by taking a stance to say, we're only going to engage with the politics that are relevant, like politics, like privacy laws, for example. You know, they wrote a book about remote work work is Mm. political where you work how you work people's access to work how people get compensated for work how decisions are made at work all of that is political everything is political and the the really the really scary thing about it is first of all because of who they are and i get that on paper there's not like 60 employees but they are one of the world's biggest small companies like their digital mm. footprint and their influence and their power is a much bigger scale than their actual revenue or or staff numbers. So yeah. that means that they set a precedent. It means people listen to them. It means people copy them. And I guarantee there will be people right now as we speak who are using that as a flag to put in the ground and say, Basecamp have done it. We're going to do it too. And we probably won't read about them because 
There'll mm. not be people who want to who work in the open and want to put these things online. But they have given people permission to copy them. Yeah. And I my hope is that these businesses will die and they will die quickly. And for anybody who is listening thinking, well, what do I do about this? First of all, you know, your money your power is in your your pound. If you're a base camp customer, please choose not to be anymore. There are lots of alternative software companies that offer the same thing. And then I think the other thing is, you know, I know that that article was flying around millions of slacks and Microsoft Teams. Mm. There's lots and lots of teams having conversations about, oh, have you read this? What do you think? And, you know, I wonder how many white people stood up and said, well, what, what, do, what do we think about this? Yeah. What's our stance yeah. on politics? What's our stance on feeling distracted by the fact that black people are being murdered every day, you know, and I, I really hope that we step up to that moment because that's yeah. when good will come of it. I mean, of course, since we, when, since we last spoke and since I made the video and you wrote your newsletter, the majority of the leadership team have left which is great. Um, and the fact that they had the audacity to offer, was it six months pay or something? I imagine mm. thinking that yeah. not very many people would take yeah. them up on it and then the majority of the leadership team did. So I hope that that serves as a lesson to anyone else who's watching. But really, I just felt extremely, extremely sad, just deeply sad for the people who have dedicated their life's work to teaching leaders and organizations why, what diversity and inclusion is, why it matters, what it looks like. And, you know, one statement from a company like them can just set that work back mm, years. Yeah. yeah. And I feel really sad about that. The sad thing that I felt about it, and I talked to a couple of people who work in that space after the Basecamp blog, mm. and it seems like there's there's a little bit of a backlash going on right now where lots of white people are saying, hey, we've spent a year talking about Black Lives Matter and diversity, mm. and, you know, we're kind of bored. You know, we've had enough of that. And that's kind of what it felt like to me, Yeah, you know, just just getting all those unsubscribes just way more than normal and just being like, Oh, and then, you know, I just felt really down about that. And then I had a couple of really nice supportive, you know, email replies back in the other direction, but they sort of came through the next day. And I had like this whole evening of just, just feeling really down about it. And when I've spoken to other people in that space who were, you know, doing a lot of that culture work and leadership work in companies, yeah, like it, that it seems to, it seems to me that they you know, what they're saying is there's, there's just a, a little bit less of an appetite now to have those conversations because people have been having them for a year and they just feel tired. Well, that's yeah. the definition of privilege, like white person feeling tired. It's like, well, yeah, because we don't know what it's like to be tired really when you, when you, when you, listen to stories from people of color, you know, there's generations of exhaustion, bias, prejudice, microaggressions. Um, so, you know, I think anybody who is feeling tired needs to really do the work to examine how the existing <laughs> system has benefited yeah. them and yeah, how their whiteness sure. has benefited them yeah and and also you know when when there are the opportunities and in in, in the sort of day-to-day -day work that we're doing we need to also just make sure that we're not tired right and that we're keeping up that keeping up that work and keeping up those conversations and 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 just mentioning these things and you know and, and trying to change them yeah i mean you know tired <laughs> probably a whole other podcast I'm sure that well there is actually an amazing 
uh, Instagram, I think they're a, I'm not sure exactly what structure they are, but they're called the Nap Ministry. And okay. they create yeah. amazing content, educating, particularly for uh, people of color around the relationship between rest and capitalism. And, you know, oh, I, interesting. It's, and it's something that I'm, you know, really early stages of mm. getting my head around and, and learning. But I, you know, I absolutely, do I feel tired? Yes. Do I have days where I need to not work because I'm so tired? Yes. But it's understanding where that tiredness comes from and how and who to share that tiredness with hmm. in a way that is sensitive to the context and the time, the times that we're living in. And yeah. I also see it the other way where, you know, there's this like frantic urgency that to, you know, I must be be being my best activist self every minute of every day and that is that's an invitation to to burn out and to your mental health suffering and sophie walker talks about this in a really beautiful way in her book five rules for rebellion which i love and recommend and she talks about this idea of it's like a ferris wheel and you know on the days when you wake up and you have energy you need to fucking go to work and you need to go mm. to work for the people who don't have the privileges that you have but on the days when you're tired you must rest and you must rest yeah. knowing that somebody else woke up that same day with energy and you know and so it keeps going round because i meet a, so many amazing brilliant women who are you know fighting intense complex causes and they are making themselves ill hmm. through the work maybe that's a nice little segue to just talk about work-life balance and productivity so for you one of the things that really stood out in that video you did about base camp was mm. i think you said something along the lines of i have just lost sleep for two nights thinking about this yeah. and wearing this around in my head and um, it just strikes me that you have a just a really deep, I mean, it feels like you're a deep thinker and you have a deep sense of empathy. And I bet that's mm -hmm. a blessing and a curse for you. So I'd just love to hear more about that. Just what does that look like for you personally? And how do you, how do you try to give yourself permission to be at the bottom of mm -hmm. the, the Ferris wheel sometimes and, and just take time away? And... Yeah, I feel seen. That is an accurate description. You know, I think I feel my feelings very deeply and that coupled with a very powerful urgency to contribute which I've had since yeah. I was a child and mm. no amount of therapy can help me pinpoint where that comes <laughs> from one day one day I so you don't know that. where it comes from not really okay <laughs> because you know that I grew up in a very loving sporting family environment my parents' relationship with my academic success was one of all we can ask for is you try your best. You know, they, my mum used to put a bookmark in my book, like a few chapters along and say, you know, you need to put the light out when you get to this, when you get to this bookmark or I would just sit up all night reading oh, and they would come yeah. and say, you know, you really need to, no, that was when I was super young, you know, into my teenage mm. years. It would be like, I'm going to come and close this laptop lid now. You need to stop. And so it definitely wasn't an external pressure. I'm sure there's a bunch of stuff around Catholicism. I went to a Catholic primary school and a Catholic secondary school. And I think they instill very toxic narratives around good or good and bad. Um, mm. which I think, again, shows up differently for different genders. But that's also a whole other conversation. But, yeah, I, where, where, where I am is I do feel things and I care a lot about a lot of stuff. And I probably learned a bunch the hard way, you know, whilst building Snook, I ended up uh, in hospital, had, you know, and had call an ambulance scary times and that was you know wow. all you could tell me was your stress your body's 
just responding to stress. Wow. Um, and was that just from work? Were you just working like stupid hours? And yeah, we just yeah. worked. I just worked all the time. And you didn't have anyone to come and um, close the laptop like you did when you were at home. No, and also I was like in my mid twenties, so I had lots mm. of energy. I didn't have any children. Yeah. And I, I also love it. You know, I really, really love my work, and that mm. is, you know, when you talk about work life balance, I really don't think that is such a thing. I think there's always trade offs. There's always a sacrifice. It's definitely shifted for me. I mean, two things play a huge role in where I'm at now. One is, of course, I'm a mother, so I have a young son who's three, and that's definitely affected my energy levels, first of all. But it's also affected my... Like, I don't feel able, if we think kind of pre-COVID times, like, I don't feel able to get on a flight and say I'm going to go to this conference for three days like I don't mm. want to be away from my baby for three days yeah and that's new like that's a new thing and the second thing is my partner and the relationship I have with my partner and how we've designed our family life is that he is the sole he's the primary carer and he was doing mm. a PhD when we decided to have a baby he quit his PhD and his career has has suffered from that. You know, we suffer all the same things. It's just gender reversed. Yeah. Um, but because of that, I'm able to work the way that I work. But I'm much like I don't work weekends. I usually don't work evenings. I don't have email on my phone. I don't have notifications on my phone. Um, and I really don't do stuff that I don't want to do anymore. Yeah. I think I'm definitely at that place, which I know that's a huge theme in the bond. Uh, that's, you know, a lot of, it takes work to get to a place where you feel okay to say thank you, but no thank you. Mm. Um, and also that's not, it's, it, it is a question of money and financial security but it's also just not a question of money and financial security is it is it but it's about how you see yourself and your 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 level of comfort and confidence to be able to say no as well totally and it and it's really complicated um and you know i always say like i wish for all these forbes 30 under 30 and oh i made my million dollar revenue like can we see the can we see your spouse's paycheck? Can we see your? <laughs> can we see the the wealth, the net worth of your parents? Because we know, like all of the data shows, the number mm-hmm. one thing that influences your career and success in the inverted commas is your parents' wealth. And mm. I grew up in a working class family in a really poor area of Scotland. My partner is from Liverpool. You know, we don't have big trust funds and big safety nets. I am the breadwinner. I'm, I'm the sole earner in our house. And, you know, that feels... I swing between I want to tell the story because I know it's not told enough to do I need to tell the story about, about you know, do I need to tell the story about every aspect of this? I'm actually just going to keep my head down and go on with it and you know I don't know I don't know what the answer yeah. is um because sometimes I get met with like oh my god your partner's amazing and you're so lucky and I'm like or this is you know this is just very normal and most women in the world are doing this have done this at some stage in their life and they don't get put on a pedestal and told that they're amazing yeah. I've had it so I'm a 50 50 single dad and I've had it honestly about three times in the last week where people have said oh it's amazing that you do 50 50 and it's like mm. yeah i have this exactly the same as you it's like no it's it's not only is it so normal but it's mathematically normal right it's like we're do half the work i mean it, yeah that yeah. that shouldn't be a thing that i'm being yeah. uh sort of commented on because of and yeah and em- empathize with the whole um uh background thing too too as a free school meals kid but yeah we were, let's let's not get into that i've got a couple of things i wanted to touch about before we finish we've got mm-hmm. about five minutes um so my friend 
uh, asked me last night, said, what are you doing this week? And I said, I'm recording a podcast. And and uh, she said, who's it with? And I said, oh, it's with Lauren Curry. And she said, oh, Lauren Curry OBE. Yeah. And um, so it strikes me as a thing that it's like, it, you know, you, like you put that on your social media handles and it's a mm-hmm. thing that you're deeply proud of. So I'd just love to hear about how that came about and, and what does that mean to you, the OBE, the OBE? Yeah, of course. So I was nominated by a brilliant woman who actually I've met a bunch since but hadn't met at the time, which still kind of blows my mind. Um, She's a civil servant and she nominated me and I think the process is you then get a whole bunch of different letters of nominations from different people. I don't know who wrote the letters. I've never read the letters. Um, But I got a letter through the post to tell me that I'd been nominated for an OBE for my services to design and diversity. And I was invited to Buckingham Palace December 2017 to collect my award. At this stage, I was like nine months pregnant. So I am very (laughs) round in my picture with Prince Philip, which actually I really love because... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> means I can show Atlas and say, "Look, you met the queen." Um, and if if you'd have if your waters are broken in the palace or something, do you get um, do you get like special privileges? Like you're allowed no, to get so this is a married whole thing. in the palace? Or, so... Yeah, so this is a whole thing. They have paramedics on site. Yeah. Because you can't give birth on royal soil, or there would oh, be... it's the opposite, right? There, okay, there would be uh, consequences of that. So. <laughs> Luckily, that did not happen. Um, Privileges that come with the awards. I can get married in St. Paul's Cathedral. I can carry a sword. I can herd sheep over London Bridge or something very strange. Um, But I have, you know, I have never been and I am not a fan of the royal family. I think they are at odds with gender equality they are at odds Mm. with racial equality they are built upon foundations of white supremacy but i think it is possible to hold those two things at once and the reason that i decided to accept the award was firstly had i rejected it nobody would have noticed like i'm Mm. really not famous enough for that to make any sort of headline like i'm not I'm not Judy Dench or, you know, um, Judy Blue. My- Michael or... Sheen gave his back, didn't he, recently? Yeah, but we I all think, know who yeah. Michael Sheen is. But he, yeah, know, that's, yeah, that's my point. Yeah. Who, maybe one day I'll give mine back and people will <laughs> notice. But I, I decided that the work that I'm doing, this, I hope enables me to be taken seriously in spaces where I wouldn't normally mm. be taken seriously. It enables me to get a seat around a table. Uh, and I know that I can trust myself to ask the questions and make other people around that table uncomfortable if that's, if, if I'm ever in that situation. And the last thing is it made my mum and dad really, 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 really happy and proud. And my dad still gets teary when we talk about it. Yeah. And, you know, my dad works for a local council and I know he's super proud of me, but could he really tell you in detail what it is I do every day? Probably not. And this <laughs> means that, you know, he can go to his mates in the in the office at work and everybody he meets knows what an OBE is and mm, yeah. it's like a really special thing for him and nice. that felt really important to me it's very easy to have high-minded uh sort of views against awards and then you think about like if I if I was offered one and then I'd turn it down and then I would think about my parents like like it would just I just would feel so guilty about denying them that that day yeah. and it's go. like you know we're we're having this conversation now and I hope that people will listen to this and they'll think about the yeah. royal family they'll think about a war, you know all of these all of these things are tiny tiny ripples you know I really don't 
if we take the stance that you know we need to be Madonna before anything we do or say makes any difference, then we're mm-hmm. going to end up in a messy place. You know, it's like we all have we all have agency and we all have power and. For the design community, you know, I think as far as I'm aware, it's the first award for service design of that kind, and oh, well. you know, that's yeah. that's a big deal for service design, if not me, like yeah, for service for design. Sure. So. We kind of share this slight nervousness about the fact that we're out there on the internet putting out useful stuff that we hope will help people, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of people who are also out there on the internet putting out stuff and marketing themselves in ways that we really just don't like and relate to. And we don't want to be that. And we've had conversations about that before. Um, So do you have any particular rules for how you um, put yourself out there online? Like things that you do want to do or don't want to become like, how do you, how do you approach that, that whole kind of icky world of sort of internet thought leadership and marketing and all that stuff? Yeah, I think, well, firstly, it's very clear to me in my head that it's my job. It's part of my job. And that means Mm. that there are boundaries. It means that there are elements that are outsourced. It means that there are parts that are strategic. You know, it's all about helping me reach more people, have more impact. I think there are practices particularly I think from white female influencers that keep me up at night. Um, There's been a few recently that have made, you know, that have got significant press coverage because of the, the damage that they caused to vulnerable women who kind of took them at their word and ended up paying for services that weren't delivered and women who are selling woo so you know whether that's manifestation law of attraction crystals tarot cards astrology i mean you i just think you could not make it up it's like just as we're making progress Mm. with gender equality we're now being told to attribute our mood to what the moon's doing to attribute our success to how hard we rub these two rocks together you know, if you don't get it, it's because you didn't visualise it and want it enough. And it's like, that is a fucking insult. It's an insult to <laughs> intelligence. And it's also steeped in privilege. It is so steeped in, in white privilege, particularly, because, you know, how are these things working out for women who are in domestic abu- domestic abuse situations? How are these things working out for pregnant women that have just been sacked and they've got nowhere to go and no no money to buy food? Like, this narrative that I can teach you how to think things and they will happen in your life mm. is is awful. And you know, they are they're selling they're selling a fake lifestyle. You know, it's this kind of if you like me and you want my life, buy my book and buy my course. In this particular um influencer, she made a million pounds uh, yeah. by selling products that she never delivered hundreds of women who were financially or mentally vulnerable handed over you know i had women get in touch with me who paid up to five thousand pounds and didn't get anything back and And this is is she selling like the manifesting thing is that is that her so it's like the the principle is you put this money in and then you dream about it and then good stuff happens is that yeah, it's like ask the universe it? for what you need and the universe yeah. will... Like the secret. The secret was return. all along those yeah. lines. Yeah, so law of attraction yeah. stuff. And don't get me wrong, positive thinking, visualisation, all four. There's lots of science that shows those things work. But I am... Yeah, I am not for... I am not for women claiming that you can... You can think your way to financial wealth. You can think your way to entrepreneurship Mm, or you can imagine your way to um, whatever version of success you're going after. And what was so harmful about that particular case is the people who complained and questioned her were immediately blocked and labelled anti-feminist. You know, it's like very, Mm. you know, the same principles that we see people who, who run 
cults using where it's if you speak yeah. against it you're you're othered and a huge amount of fear because there was a lot of fear around what will the consequences for me and my business be if I speak out about this mm. isn't it interesting how there's like there's this on the one so on the one hand you've got this idea of just think it and it will come true and that tends to attract you know a predominantly female audience and then on the other hand you've got this thing of just hustle and hustle and hustle and mm. don't actually worry about whether you've got a great product or mm. whether it's benefiting people but just like be on the treadmill for 20 hours and that attracts a predominantly young male you know Gary V audience kind of kind of thing right but it both mm. of them are just so far at the extreme that they're going to be wrong because they don't yeah. tie together the idea that not only have you got to think, but you've got to have some logic to the work and do some work and all of that. So that's, yeah. a, that's an interesting. Yeah, gendered... you're right. I hadn't, yeah, I hadn't quite compared the two in that way. And I think one of the most toxic parts of those narratives is it's so focused on the individual, you know, yeah. it's so focused on self progression rather than, we it's like collectively how do we make things better especially for the people mm. who aren't instagramming about their fucking mood board because they are just trying to get through the day you know they're trying to yeah. survive yeah okay let me ask you one more thing on that then so do you when you see certain behavior in terms of marketing and thought leadership online does it ever give you does it ever give you kind of rules or ways of thinking, this is how I want to push back against that and do it differently? I think more it gives me conviction that I am showing up in a way that is meaningful, intentional, and you know, is genuinely creating value in the world. So I think, you know, for example, there may be things I've things I would do in the past where I would think, you know, I don't want to I don't want to talk about this too don't want to talk about my course too much. What if I annoy people, you know, that classic the marketeer's dilemma. I think when I see that stuff, I think, mm. you know, it's absolutely okay for me to show up and say, like, this is who I am and this is what I can offer you. This is my, you know, ten years plus CV and skill set that gives me the qualifications and the credibility to do this work and it makes me it, it 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 shows me that the need and the demand for my work is probably even bigger than I realized because now I'm getting a lot of people joining my community because they're saying I couldn't find one that wasn't banging on about star signs because, you know, it's, it's it really is becoming such a a hot topic and you know I've asked a bunch of my friends who are practicing scientists like can you come on my Instagram live and help me do a quick explainer and they're like mate no because what would I do an Instagram live about the earth not being flat no like we're way beyond like we're putting people on Mars like I'm this is not up for debate and I think it's <laughs> so interesting the distance between that and and sure, you know, the algorithm and the bubbles mean that you're seeing the same messages all the time of, you know, Mercury's going into retrograde. So, like, make sure you have this chat with your boss and make sure you do this with your money this week. And it's just like, mm. no, thank you. <laughs> so horrible. <laughs> um, honestly, I just, I feel like I could talk to you all day and there's there's even <laughs> things on things on my list that we haven't talked about um so maybe we'll get get you back on it yeah. yeah we'll get you back on another time and and pick up some of these uh different threads of conversation but yeah just super inspiring and Thank just you, i love i love your your sense of purpose and your uh sense of mission and everything you do um so just before we finish just tell people where they can find out more connect with you and um share lots of stuff online that is not hippie woo woo <laughs> <laughs> yes so i'm lauren curry on instagram and twitter 
super active on Instagram, share posts most days around a lot of the things that Graham and I have talked about. Uh, my website is laurencurry.co. Upfront is weareupfront.com. And the next bond starts on the 7th of June. We still have lots of places left. So if you're even the tiniest bit curious, do get in touch, check out the website. I would love to welcome you. And thank you so much for listening. Pleasure. Thank you so much, Lauren. Thanks for having me, Graham. Thank you. So there you go, Lauren Curry. I could have talked to Lauren for hours and I've been trying to do this thing recently where... I'm uh, trying to keep the record to 50 or 55 rather than an hour so that the whole thing, once you add the intros in and everything, comes to an hour or just less than rather than an hour and ten. Just failed with that one because there was just so much to talk about and I just felt like I could have talked to Lauren for hours. So uh, just, it is what it is. It'll be longer than an hour. There we go. Uh, I suppose that's the beauty of podcasting is you don't actually have to operate within constraints. I don't know, I have mixed feelings about it. I kind of feel like sometimes uh, all the best podcasts I listen to are like, they're well over an hour. And then also I get the whole thing of it feels daunting and it it puts people off and all the rest of it. So uh, yeah, I'll continue doing what I'm doing and trying to shorten it just a little bit. But yeah, follow Lauren on social media. She's always sharing really good stuff. Um, She's got a couple of email newsletters as well. One for Upfront and one for her own uh, social media stuff which she has this really nice way of uh, kind of giving that platform to other people in her network to share stuff that they like as well so uh, just a really nice way of doing it and uh, yeah it just always means you get a really nice varied feed of good info and good insights into your uh, email inbox so follow Lauren on social media and her email newsletters and by the way, my own email newsletter, Rev Up for the Week, every Sunday I write a little productive or positive thing for the week ahead. It lands on a Sunday evening. It used to land at five past four on a Sunday evening, and now they change the settings. So now it lands at four o'clock, but that's the only reason it changed. Um, but if you want to sign up for that, just go to grahamalcott.com forward slash links. I'm hovering just underneath a thousand subscribers this week. So if you want to make me happy by helping me to reach uh, what feels like a really big milestone. I only started this about a year ago, just over a year ago. And it's just been, I found it really useful, just the practice of putting something uh, out there that I'm happy with every single Sunday. And I write it during that week. I don't bulk batch write them or anything like that. Um, But just that practice of always having a deadline every Sunday uh, has just been a very useful one uh, for me. But also, yeah, really valuing the connections that I'm making through it as well. So people just replying regularly to uh, things that they've liked in the email, occasionally things that they didn't like in the email and just all of that too. So if you want to be part of that little community Uh, Just head to grahamalcott.com forward slash links and then you can just click the button there and sign up. It's called Rev Up for the Week. That's it for another week. It's it's hot here and I'm enjoying the weather and it's also meaning that I'm trying to not work too hard. So given that the name of this podcast is Beyond Busy, I wish you a week of getting beyond busy, finding some flow and also taking some time for you over the course of the week. And we'll see you in a week's time. Take care. Bye.